0: Now, some of you will know, um, perhaps a little bit m- more than others about events subsequent to the return of Christ. I just need to, in order to see the placement of these visions, um, between the placement of, of, um, particularly the second vision that Zachariah had and this one that we just had, the last vision, vision eight and vision one, we need to, it's helped to see it on a timeline in order to understand where they all fit. It has been suggested that that in the, the establishment of the kingdom, that is the time from the time of the resurrection and the return of Christ through to the time when all nations are brought under subjection to Christ, the temple has been built, that there could be a period of 50 years. Now, we're not going to try and prove that. Um, in our classes today. That's not the purpose. And if you're not convinced by that, I mean, just realize there's a time period that's involved here in establishing the kingdom before the millennium begins. Breaking that down a little bit further, the suggestion is that there will be a 10-year period between when the Christ returns for the resurrection and judgment to take place, but then there needs to be time for us being given immortal bodies to learn how to use those immortal bodies, and how to do the work of the angels. So there'll be the preparation of the saints. At the same time, the nations will be gathered to Armageddon, with the culmination of that 10 years being the Battle of Armageddon. I guess one of the key points that is practical for us is that it, that Zechariah does make clear, and it's it's clear when you come over to Zechariah 14, for instance, That when Christ is manifest to the world in the battle of Armageddon, and it says in Zechariah 14 that he sets his feet upon the Mount of Olives in that day, at that time, at the end of verse nine, or sorry, at the end of verse five, it says, The Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. So when Christ is manifest to the world at Armageddon, he's not alone. The saints have, are already with him. So we will not be watching Russia come down on the mountains of Israel on the news in the, uh, in the evening. We will, be, we will be taken long before then in order to have the resurrection and to be with Christ when he's manifest to the world. So there is, that's why we say there's nothing left that we need to see before we are taken. To the, to the judgment and to be with Christ and for these things to begin. Anything that's left in the prophetical word, the gathering of the nations and the assembling them could all easily take place within that 10-year period, if it's a 10-year period. But vision two that Zechariah saw that night coincides with the battle of Armageddon and takes place there at the end of that first opening sequence of events. Let's just look at Zechariah chapter 1. We're going to start with this second vision before we go to what we just read. Zechariah 1 and beginning at verse 18. I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, what be these? So Zechariah is asking the question, like, what are these four horns? And the angel answers me, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And Yahweh showed me four carpenters. Then said I, what come these to do? And he spake, saying, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these, that is the four carpenters, or craftsmen, are come to fray them, to cast out the horn of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. Now, when Zechariah heard that message, and he starts hearing a vision and seeing a vision about horns, well, his mind would probably go back to the book of Daniel, because Daniel saw many beasts that had horns of various sorts on them. And those horns represented great kings or powers For instance, we might think of the notable horn on the Grecian goat that represented Alexander the Great that was broken off and four horns came up in its place. We might think of the ten horns on the back of the fourth beast in Daniel 7 and the little horn that arose. We might think of um, there's the two horns on the ram in Daniel chapter 8. So Daniel had a lot of horns to represent kingdoms. And here there are four horns. They represent Gentile powers. Gentile powers, verse 21, that have been responsible for scattering, It says for the end of verse 19, Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And now these are going to be cast down. They're going to be overthrown by the four carpenters. Now, the number four, as it relates to the book of Daniel and Daniel's prophecies, Zechariah's mind and our mind being taken back there, when we think about four powers, four Gentile powers that have been responsible for these things, our mind perhaps goes to Daniel chapter two with Nebuchadnezzar's image, where it makes it clear that there are four metals: where there was the gold, the silver, the brass and the iron, and then the iron becomes mixed with the clay. But the language of Daniel 2 makes it clear there are four distinct metals that are being used there for the four Gentile powers. It's the kingdom of men being presented, given to Nebuchadnezzar as man sees it, a great image of himself. But there's a couple of hints and clues in Daniel chapter 2 That this prophecy wasn't just a history or a timeline, but that there is in some way in which this image needs to be brought together at the time of Christ's return to be broken together in pieces when Christ returns. Daniel 2.28 says, But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known unto the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. So this great image that smote on its feet is something that happens in the latter days. So yes, it's happened down through time, the various component parts, but in some way it's brought together as an image in the latter days. And Daniel 2.35 says that the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and gold are broken in pieces together. And we might wonder, well, how will this be? Well, Brother Thomas in his book on Daniel's prophecy suggests and and tells us that if you were to take a map and you were to draw a map out of all the territories of these kingdoms, the kingdom of Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome, and you were to put them all out on a map, and then you were to overlay that with a map representing the territories of Gog's confederacy in Ezekiel 38, they would be almost identical with a few exceptions. The culmination of all these parts of the image is what Russia will bring together in her confederacy when she comes down upon the mountains of Israel to be broken in pieces together. When we come over to Daniel chapter 7, which is the, the counterpart to Daniel 2, we find that now the kingdom of men is presented as God sees it, as ravenous beasts. And again, the number four comes up. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings or four kingdoms, which will arise out of the earth. But Daniel sees that the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Until, verse 22 of Daniel 7 says, the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given unto the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So who will execute the judgment upon the kingdom of men, these Gentile powers? It will be the saints of the Most High. The saints, God willing, brothers and sisters, maybe you and I might be involved in those judgments. I say might because not to presume that we will be there, but also the fact that there might be other things going on at the same time that we might be involved in. So there will be a work for the saints to do in judging these or executing God's judgment upon the nations. And so when we look at this this vision in Zechariah 1 at the end of this chapter, we see here then is another counterpart to this. Here are the four horns of the Gentiles. They are, we would suggest, the same as the four kingdoms of Nebuchadnezzar's image. The four beasts of, um, of Daniel chapter 7, therefore the four carpenters or craftsmen, would be related to the saints of the Most High. And we'll, I think we'll develop that a little bit further as we go along. We'll, we'll see that, that these four car- carpenters, how that idea is developed in Zechariah 6 a little bit further. That the saints will be involved in this work. Um, Psalm 149 uh, speaks about this in verse 5 to 9. It says, let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. This idea of beds is the marriage bed. It has the idea that they've been united together with Christ. It's after the resurrection. A two ed- or Let the high praises of God be in their mouth, a two-edged sword in their hand. That two-edged sword would give us the the imagery of not only the word of God being a two-edged sword, but the idea that takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden with the with the the cherubim that kept the way to the tree of life. I don't know if you say cherubim or cherubim here. Um, <laughs> I I I learned it as cherubim, but I know many say cherubim. So uh, you'll know what I'm talking about when I refer to it, because we're going to come back to that in in a little bit. But just you can see the imagery here, this this sword is in their hand. They're taking on this work because what are the saints, what have they done? They've kept the way to the tree, tree of life. They've kept the way of the truth um, in, their, in their service to God. And it says, as we continue on in Psalm 149, they execute vengeance upon the heathen or the Gentile powers. Punishment upon the people to bind their kings with chains, their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all his saints. And remember, many of these saints are the ones that were put to death by these powers, and now they will be given the honor of God to execute his judgments upon them. Now, as we expand this out a little bit further, so there's vision two at the time period of of Armageddon. And we'll see a couple more verses a little later that, that do further uh, show this. But then after Armageddon, it's been suggested there might be another 10-year period, which would be the time of what Revelation 14 calls the Midheaven Proclamation. That is a proclamation that's going to go forth to everybody on the earth to submit to the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a proclamation that makes it very clear to the people that God is the creator and the sustainer of all life upon this earth, and that he's the one that is to be honored, and that you can find in Revelation 14. At the same time, the temple construction will begin in the land of Israel after it's cleaned up, and Elijah will begin his mission to scattered Israel. Now that mission and that work is actually touched on in Zechariah chapter two. There's a few verses there that actually refer to that mission that Elijah will do. And Elijah's mission, and this could be a whole class in itself, um, is really to bring back all the Jews throughout the entire world need to be brought back to the land of Israel. And the and the, the scriptures indicate that that is going to be a long. Slow, arduous process. At this point in time, in the aftermath of Armageddon, they're not jumping on airplanes and going back to the land of Israel. They're coming by boat and on foot back to the land and trying to make their way. And it will be a time of intense persecution against the Jews, especially in those places where Christ is going to be viewed as the Antichrist. And they're going back there to assist him. They will not be viewed favorably in those days. And you can see in Zechariah 2, just to pick up where that is referenced, it's in verse 6. Ho, ho, come forth and flee the land of the north, saith the Lord. I have scattered you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, saith the Lord. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. And in those words, there's a a link to other scriptural passages which talk about how they will have to come and flee the the, the land of the north. In Revelation, just as a side point, it's referred to as the wilderness. The land of the wilderness where the beast arises is the land of the north, the European continent. And in Ezekiel, I believe it's chapter 20, it um, it refers to them coming through the wilderness of the people and coming back to the land. And they will come back to be brought into the bonds of the new covenant, to be brought into the hope of Israel. And um, and then they will be ushered across the Jordan River into the land. So that's the essence of the Elijah mission, which will begin there and will extend over this whole period of 40 years um, to bring them back. Um, then we have the in at the end of that Second set of 10 years, we have the eighth vision. That's where this um, the, so this message has gone out for the world to submit, but there will be nations that will not submit. And that's where Zechariah 6 comes in, where the saints are sent forth, as we're going to see on their mission. And by the end of that time, we've got vision one, where they come back. It's the period of time Revelation 14 describes as the grape harvest, the judgment on the nations. And um, and by the end of all this, um, all nations will be brought under subjection to Christ. The Jews will be back in the land, right under the into the bonds of the new covenant, and the temple will be built, and the millennial age will begin. Uh, will be yeah, will will begin at that point. So let's go into Zechariah six then, and and see what it has to say. So, verse 1 says, I turned. So, we talked about that at the beginning of our last class. The significance of that is, in chapter 5, he was looking at events pre-resurrection. Now he's turning to look at things post-resurrection again. He lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, there came forth, it says, four chariots. Out from between two mountains, the mountains were mountains of brass. And in the first chariot were red horses, the second chariot black horses, the third chariot white horses, and the fourth chariot grizzled and bay horses. So there's a lot of imagery that's here. We're going to get to the mountains of brass in a moment. But I want you just to notice a few words that are used here that connect to another passage in scripture. We notice the use of the number four we notice the idea of chariots. And the four chariots are referred to in verse 5 as the four spirits of the heavens. And verse 5 tells us that they go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. So first of all, they are standing with the Lord of all the earth. We'll suggest that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they are going to go forth on their mission. So they're standing, then going forth. Now, the significance of this language is that it's all the language that comes up in Ezekiel chapter one, the vision that Ezekiel received about the cherubim. We're just going to walk through a couple of of these points. I want you to come back, hold your hand here and come back to Ezekiel chapter one. We'll just develop this a little bit so that we can solidify in our minds what these four chariots coming out from between the two mountains is is speaking about. So verse four of Ezekiel one says, I looked and behold, this is Ezekiel, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself and brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof is the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man and everyone had four faces. Everyone had four wings. And if you come down to um, down to verse 10, we learn about those faces and for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man. The face of a lion on the right side they four had the face of an ox on the left side they four had the face of an eagle so you can see how the number four is very prominent in this vision that ezekiel is seeing (laughs) and there were four living creatures and zachariah speaks about four chariots he speaks about four spirits of the heavens Now, before we just look at that idea of the chariots and and the other things that are mentioned there on that in that chart, just come to the end of Ezekiel chapter one for a moment, and I want you to notice what else Ezekiel saw at the end of this vision. It says, verse 26: above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone, and upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about with it or within it from the appearance of his loins, even upward. And from the appearance of his loins, even downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire and it had brightness round about. Verse 28, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so is the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance and the likeness of the glory of Yahweh. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. So what Ezekiel sees at the end here is he sees a throne. He sees a rainbow round about the throne, and he hears a voice speaking. Now, this imagery all comes up again in the New Testament in Revelation 4 and 5. Now, here's where you really got to use some your hands, because we're in Zechariah, you got to leave a hand here in Ezekiel as well so get your fingers out and we'll go over to uh, Revelation chapter 4 and 5 because it's really Revelation 4 and 5 that solidify what Ezekiel 1 is talking about what are these four living creatures that are that are being spoken about which are ultimately for our interest linked back to Zechariah chapter 6 So, Revelation 4 says in verse 2, Immediately, I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on a throne. So, there's a a man on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. There was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And then it tells us, verse 5 out of the throne proceed lightnings and thunderings and voices. There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. In the midst of the throne, round about at the throne, were four beasts. That word beasts is living creatures. There were four living creatures full of eyes before and behind. And verse 7 here's our real. Uh, link back to Ezekiel 1, the first beast was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third like a face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And they had wings as well, like the ones in Ezekiel, but Ezekiel had four wings. This one has six, because it's linking to the seraphim of Isaiah 6. And um, you can see there, all this imagery is the same imagery of Ezekiel chapter 1. I put a chart on the screen that just shows you all the different Uh, similarities and links that you can find between these two passages, Ezekiel 1 and Revelation 4 and 5. Now, where this is interesting is because those living creatures, or as it says, beasts, in Revelation 4 and 5, they speak. And in listening to the words that they speak, we understand who they represent. Verses 9 and 10 of Revelation 5 says, They sung a new song, saying... Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Clearly, those are the words of the saints, the multitude of the redeemed, who will reign on the earth with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these living creatures, the same as Ezekiel chapter 1, what is Ezekiel saying? Ezekiel is seeing a vision of Christ and the saints together. And we get confirmation that what Ezekiel saw was, was um, a, a host of people when we look at Ezekiel 1 verse 24. Where it says, when they went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of great waters, as the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech, as the noise of an host. So Ezekiel 1 is talking about a host of people, a great multitude. So we bring that all back to Zechariah chapter 6. Don't leave Ezekiel 1. (laughs) We're going back there. Um, we bring that idea back because what we're trying to establish is that what what Zechariah is seeing in Zechariah 6 with the four chariots, the four spirits of heaven, are linked to the four living creatures of Ezekiel 1 and are the same as the four four beasts or four living creatures of Revelation 4 and 5. They're talking about the multitude and the company of the saints. So we saw this link in Ezekiel 1 to Zechariah 6 with the number 4. What about this idea of chariots? Well, you're not going to find the word chariot per se in Ezekiel 1 as you read through, but you will find the idea of wheels. So if you look, uh, for instance, at verse um, 15 and 16 of Ezekiel 1, it says, now, as I beheld the living creatures, behold one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces, the appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of a barrel, and they four had one likeness, and their appearance and their and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Now you can see this little artist renditioning there's all kinds of if you look up on the internet, I mean Ezekiel one, you'll get all kinds of images. this was the closest one that I thought sort of. Match to uh, what it might have looked like, uh, but you get the idea. A wheel in a wheel. It's kind of like a wheel, and then a a wheel. Like that. That's how they're they're depicting this wheel in the wheel kind of thing. Um, but this is this word that's used here in Ezekiel one for the wheel is used elsewhere in Scripture for the chariot wheel. That's what kind of wheel it is. It's a chariot wheel. So I'll give you a couple of uh, examples. Exodus 14, verse 25, the word is used there uh, for the chariot wheels of Pharaoh's forces that were destroyed in the Red Sea. Uh, First Kings 7, in Solomon's temple, he used uh, uh, chariot wheels or what looked like chariot wheels. I believe those were at the base of the great laver. Nahum 3, in verse 2, talks about the chariot wheels of these, um, and it's talking about the the horses and chariots going through uh, the city of Nineveh and its destruction. So that's how the, how the, why, where we get the, the link to chariots in Ezekiel 1. It's with the idea of the wheels. Now, chariots is an idea that is brought up in, re, in regards to the saints and in the time of the return of Christ. So, for instance, Isaiah 66, speaking about Armageddon in verses 15 and 16, it says, Behold, Yahweh will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind. Well, there's the whirlwind that we've got from Ezekiel 1 verse 4, by the way. And so he's got his chariots. God is going to come in his chariots to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword will Yahweh plead with all flesh, the slain of Yahweh shall be mighty. So the imagery here is that God's coming into this battle. God's going to intervene in Gog's, in Gog's plans when it comes down upon the mountains of Israel. God's going to intervene and he's going to come with his chariot like a whirlwind. And this is confirmed for us in Psalm 68 in Habakkuk 3, that this chariot that God is riding is the company of the saints, Christ and the saints coming up. It's as if God is going to inhabit his chariot. So the whole company of the saints are going to form God's chariot of war that will come up to defeat Gog on the mountains of Israel. Psalm 68 says this, and this is a reading from the RSV. It says, verse 4, extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. And verse 17 of Psalm 68 says, with mighty chariotry, twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands, Yahweh came from Sinai into the holy place. So this is depicting God inhabiting the saints. They are his chariot. There's thousands of them thousands upon thousands coming up from Sinai into the holy place, into Jerusalem. The same thing is depicted in Habakkuk 3. Thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. And even the word cherub or cherub has this idea of something that is ridden. It has the idea of to ride. That's the idea of the word, to ride. God is riding his his carob. He's riding his chariot. David, in, I believe it's First Chronicles 28, when he's describing the Ark of the Covenant and, and the, and the carabim above upon it, he describes the, the Ark as the chariot, God's chariot the chariot of the cherubim, and God is dwelling between the cherubim. So in other words, this is a chariot, and the cherubim, Christ and the saints, are that which God is going to inhabit to ride into battle. So when we come back to Zechariah 6, there's our link to the chariot wheels. The spirit idea, the idea of the four spirits of the heaven, which are also in Ezekiel 1, we're going to hold on to that thought until tomorrow morning. We're going to look at that idea a little bit further in our class tomorrow. And then this idea of standing and going forth, well in Ezekiel 1, so is so just to, to regroup here is in Zechariah 6, it says they're standing before the Lord of all the earth, and then they go forth. Well that's what Ezekiel 1 verse 24 and 25 talk about. It says when they went, when the cherubim went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of a great waters, as the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech, as the noise of an host. And when they stood, they let down their wings. And there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads when they stood and let down their wings. So there's a time when these cherubim are standing still, the wings are let down, and there's a time when the wings are lifted up and the sound is like a mighty host going forth into battle. So they're going forth. And that's exactly what we have in Zechariah 6. So we see a number of links back to Ezekiel 1 to solidify in our minds that this, these, these horses and chariots that are going forth are representing Christ and the saints or more in particular, actually, we should say the saints going forth to do this work. Now, there are, they are coming forth from between two mountains of brass. Now, when we think about mountains in Bible prophecy, well, mountain, well, that speaks of the idea of, of a kingdoms or empires. Brass, if our minds have been taken back to Daniel, Daniel's image, or, or sorry, Daniel's prophecies, Um, We can think about uh, the brass was the symbol of the Grecian Empire. And we know the story we alluded to earlier that when Alexander the Great died, his kingdom, the Grecian brazen kingdom, was divided into four parts. But we learn from Daniel chapter two that two of those were to become dominant in the north. To the north of Israel, there was the Seleucid Empire, the king of the north. And to the south of Israel was the Ptolemaic Empire, which was the king of the south. And Daniel 11 depicts how those two kingdoms were warring back and forwards to each other. And Right in between them was Israel and Jerusalem. Actually, it wasn't. Israel wasn't there at the time, but um, or actually it was. Sorry, it was. But Jerusalem was there. In the middle, right? The land of Jerusalem, right in the middle between these two. And so when we read then about two mountains of brass in Zechariah 6, we're talking about the king of the north and the king of the south from Daniel chapter 11. And what's between those two mountains of brass? Jerusalem. That's where these horses and chariots are going forth from, from the area of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. From Israel, and they will go forth. Just before we pass, the significance of this for when we watch the signs of the times today is that, well, we believe that Russia will take on the title of the king of the north um, when she comes down um, in, in uh, at the time of Armageddon. Now, you'll notice the ancient king of the north, the territories it held, control over Syria, what is modern-day Syria, Iraq, Iran and Afghanistan. And that's why we believe that those nations, one of the reasons why those kingdom or nations today need to be brought under Russian influence and control uh, because for Russia to take on that title of King of the North, she needs that territory in her in her control. And certainly that's what's very significant about her several years ago coming down into Syria. And why the United States is leaving Iraq and Afghanistan, because these are territories that belong to the king of the north that will ultimately belong to Russia and be under her control. Now, we've got this idea here in verses two and three of Zechariah six of horses Horses going forth. There's a beautiful passage in Job 39 to describe the power of the horse. Now think about this as we read through it, about Christ and the saints, the horses. Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. "'He paweth in the valley and rejoiceth in his strength. "'He goeth on to meet the armed men. "'He mocketh at fear and is not affrightened. "'Neither turneth he back from the sword. "'The quiver rattleth against him "'the glittering spear and the shield. "'He swalloweth the ground with fierceness and rage. "'Neither believeth he that it is the sound of a trumpet. "'He saith among the trumpets, ha, ha, "'and he smelleth the battle afar off, "'the thunder of the captains and the shouting.'" This is the, the the fearlessness of the horse riding into battle. And so you get kind of this imagery of the of now the horses, the horse element in Zechariah chapter 6. Well, we're intru- we're told in verse two and verse three that these horses were of different colors. There's a red horse, there's a black horse. There's a white horse, there's a grizzled horse. And then it says, and bay horses. Brother Thomas in Eureka, Volume 1 says, the horses of the chariots represent the forces commanded by the saints, and the colors of the horses, their operations upon their enemies. Now, I just want to comment on the, this idea of the grizzle because we, we're familiar with the color of white and red and black. The grizzled is the idea of dappled. Other translations will say, or strong says hail spotted is the idea. And you can see how the artist in this picture has rendered that idea, this sort of grayish horse with these darker bits on them that kind of look like hail, a hail spotted horse is the idea. The word bay in verse, um, at the end of verse three, and bay horses. So the margin, you might have a marginal reference that says that bay means strong, strong horses. And as you look at various translations, you'll see that the translators have had some difficulty um, trying to decipher whether or not that refers to the grizzled horses, um, that they were also strong, so strong and hail-spotted. Or other many other translations will actually refuse that word bay or strong to refer to all the horses. And so that all of these horses are strong. And that seems to tie in a little bit better, perhaps, when we come down um, a few verses later, uh, which we'll come to where the word bay comes up again. But to help us understand the what these colors represent and what kind of power our powers are being wielded in judgments come over to revelation chapter 6 where these colored horses are also mentioned now revelation 6 is not the same time period it's the uh, it's referring to events in the 2nd and 3rd century but the horses are there with their various colors and there's an interpretation given them what they represent So, Revelation 6, verse 2 says, I saw and behold a white horse. He that sat on him at a bow, a crown was given unto him. He went forth conquering and to conquer. We get the idea that this white horse has the idea of a power of conquest. It's a conquering power. Then, Verse uh, 4 speaks about the red horse. There went out another horse that was red. Power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. It has the idea of warfare and bloodshed. Black horses are mentioned in verse 5 and 6. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and I beheld and lo, a black horse. He that sat thereon had a pair of balances in his hand. I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now, those verses are implying that there is a time of extreme inflation, perhaps something we might be familiar with. But uh, this is extreme inflation. And what's it been caused by? Well, Jeremiah 14.2, Lamentations 5 and 10 uses the idea of black to refer to famine. So a famine causing severe inflation. Now, there's no uh, not necessarily an equivalent um, to the, the grizzled or dappled hail-spotted horses in Revelation chapter 6. There is a pale horse, and uh, and that horse is called death. And, uh, and there are many things associated with that in verse 8. Um, there is to, to kill with sword, hunger, with death, and beasts of the earth. So perhaps if we were to sort of follow this through, we might be able to say that that hail-spotted uh, horse, maybe it relates to those things. But I would tend to think that it actually while it might encompass those things, leans more heavily towards the idea of storm, the storms, um, because of the idea of it being hail spotted. It looks like a storm um, and judgments by storm. The point is, the judgments that the saints are going to bring upon the world to bring the world in subjection are not something that happens by the use of man's instruments of war. So whenever we talk about Christ and the saints, they're going to go up into Jerusalem, they're going to ride forth into battle, we mustn't think about them in terms of like they're riding on horses and carrying swords or going forth in tanks and shooting people and that kind of thing. That's not the instruments that the saints will be using. The saints will be going forth like an angelic host, using the powers that the angels wield today. And that will be the sword of conquest, of famine, of storm, and things like that, to be able to wield the world to Christ's, bring the world to Christ's um, control. Where do they go? Well, as we continue down, it says in verse 6, the black horses, which are therein, go forth into the north country and the white go forth after them. So notice two sets of horses need to go into the north country. Just come over the page to um, verse 8. Then cried he unto me and spake unto me, saying, Behold, these that go toward the north country have quieted my spirit in the north country. So God's spirit has been, we could say, is not quieted. It's sort of enraged by the things that are going on there. And it's going to be quieted through the judgments that will be brought about. That north country is where the opposition to Christ and his rule will be the fiercest. And by that, we're referring to the European continent. And then it talks about, as we continue back in verse six, it says, the grizzled or these dappled, spotted ones, go forth toward the south country. Now, this also brings something to our attention, that sometimes, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when we think about, we talk about, well, the king of the north and the king of the south powers, we sometimes think of it in terms of the king of the north, Russia and the confederacy, they're the bad guys, and the king of the north, king of the south, who support Israel to some extent, well, they're the good guys, and perhaps we tend to think about that in because, well, these are the nations that, that we are from, and we might think about it in those terms. God makes clear in his word, of course, that all nations are as beasts, and yes, there will be nations, particularly those of the South, that will be more inclined to submit to Christ and his rule. We're told that Britain will be one of the first Nations to um, uh, bring uh, Jews back to the land in that time and to favor Christ's reign. And but there will still be a need for judgment upon the southern uh, Confederacy of nations or the southern group. Um, and and we can certainly see that in not maybe not necessarily, perhaps it's a religious, element that's there that will see Christ as the Antichrist, Um, but perhaps also um, there is a spirit of uh, not wanting anyone to um, dictate how they can live their lives. It's the spirit of liberty that is going to be challenged by Christ when he starts telling people that certain lifestyles and things like that are wrong. Um, Certain people will not be too pleased about that. So we can certainly see where there could be a need for some judgment to come forth against um, the king of the south countries as well. And so we're told that these dappled or grizzled will go forth towards the south. And and as I say, perhaps it will be the judgment by storm that might be involved. Well, then it says, verse 7, and the bay... That is the word strong, went forth. Again, there's some discrepancy as to what this ref- this is referring to, um, but it would seem to be that it might be in reference to all of the horses, that they all went forth, they were all strong, and they sought to go that they might walk to and fro through the earth. So they're going to go to all parts of the earth to bring them into subjection to Christ. Get you hence, it says, walk to and fro through the earth, so they walked to and fro through the earth we remember might think about uh that god's eyes run to and fro through the earth don't they this is a this is a, a bit of an angelic term they're taking on the work of the angels will the, the saints will and they will walk to and fro through the earth and it will bring us to a time when we will actually burst i mean We look at these verses here and we can't see a conclusion to the matter. We don't tell, we're not told what happens because the conclusion was already given to us back in Zechariah chapter 1. So now let's go back to Zechariah chapter 1. They've come back from their mission. And this is where we started our day. Christ is on his horse. And he motions to those that are behind him the great company of horses that are behind him in this ravine among the myrtle trees. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees, verse 10, answered and said, these are they whom Yahweh has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. Verse 11, they answered the angel of Yahweh that stood among the myrtle trees and said, we have walked to and fro through the earth and behold, all the earth, Sitteth still and is at rest. And so we can look forward to that great day to come when indeed the world will be brought under the control of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he will be king, and all nations will flow to Jerusalem to that house of prayer that will be there, and they will bring their offerings, and they will worship our God in the beauty of holiness.